thought I'd share this email with you because sometimes things go wrong and it's awful, but sometimes things go right and here's one of those. On Thursday evening last, I phoned in great distress to order flowers. I was told that I had just missed your courier by two minutes. Well, the thing is, he comes and he goes and he has to go all the way back to Hereford and we take orders up till four o'clock and he leaves about quarter to five, so... At that point, there's nothing, really. You know, he's gone. I asked if there was anything the chap could do on the phone to make the delivery the next day possible. He'll know who he is. Well, he will, because there's only one. So well done, Garrus. He immediately offered to go via the couriers on his way home. That's impressive. He lives in Lempster, so that would mean he'd have to detour and go through Hereford, which, as we all know, is pretty risky at 5.15 on a weekday. How many people in this day and age would have bothered? The flowers were delivered on the right day and I am truly grateful. Please find him and give him the medal he deserves. And a big thank you from me. I was truly overwhelmed by such old-fashioned service. Ah, here's Phil. Hello. <laughs> Thank you, Jilly Pratt, very much for that message. I've not given Gareth a medal because uh, you didn't give me one. So I just gave him a pat on the back. What's the number? 216. Welcome to podcast 216. I love you, Wiggly Listener, for listening to our podcast every week. And I expect you're wondering where Ricardo is, because it's just me and... Farmer Phil. And I'm Heather from Wiggly Wigglers. Well, the thing is, he's, he's off on government work again, isn't he? He's taking grants and spending <clears throat> them on good causes, allegedly. But you see, June says... June Saddington says, Look, what's happening in the garden? Have you got any frog spawn left? What about the bees? Any birds nesting? I need to know these things. What seeds have you sown? Are your earlies in yet? Will you please drag Ricardo out into the Wiggly Garden and get podcasting? I can give a full garden report. (laughs) You can't? I can. Right. It's it's bee cold in our garden at the moment. Nothing's been planted. I can't see any frogs born. The only bird activity is the starlings are preparing the starling nesting box for nesting. End of report. I can give you a quick update. The cockerel is... um, Treading. He's Randy, and the hens are not keen. That'll be Kellogg's. Yes, and Layla is laying eggs like a good un, and the ducks are uh, quacking. That's it, really. Listen, when we get Ricardo back, we will take him into the Wiggly Garden, but I can happily tell you that it is bare. You are not missing a single thing. Ricardo, if you have to listen to him, listen to his podcast. What is it? Tales from Up the Hill. And there's Terry. We set them all up, Phil. And then they leave us. And now look at us, sat here like a couple of old dodgerers. Well, I can sympathise with Ricardo's idea of taking a bit of subsidy to do something useful. (laughs) TTT this week. Tea Time Trouble is the title of this week's podcast. But first, let's have a Monty cast, a weekly fact about wiggliness. And that 
is what Big Norm says is the best bit of the show. So, Big Norm, here's Monty for you. The Monty Cast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. A cuckoo bumblebee lays its eggs in another bumblebee's nest and leaves the workers of that nest to rear its young. Another Monty Cast next week. To demonstrate how far behind the garden is, Michael says his frog spawn was 8th of February last year and it's 8th of March now. None. Nothing. But if you were a frog, you wouldn't really want to spawn. That's very cold. We saw Matt Naylor on the telly. He says his daffodils aren't out in Spalding in Lincolnshire. That's pretty cold there too, I expect. Yeah, our daffodils are coming from Cornwall and they've just started to come from Wales. In fact, lots of people have asked us how the heck we get our flowers all year round if we are supposed to be supporting British farming. Well, we've had no problems because lots of ours are grown under glass, but we've got in the most gorgeous ranunculus from Cornwall. We've got paper whites, we've got soles, we've got tulips, got lovely freesias. Billy's picked the catkins, the lamb's tails, for the bouquets. Anything else you can think of? Crinkly Willow. Gave the Crinkly Willow a bit of a haircut. Yeah, you did. Anyway, tea, 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 tea time trouble. Gosh, if you were here, you would see my coffee table covered in emails and responses about tea bags. Because tea bags turn out to be very complicated things. So let's start with our expert who wants to remain anonymous. His name begins with Hi Heather, I'm an avid listener to the Wiggly Podcast and I just wanted to dot some I's and cross some T's after this week's show. I used to work for a paper mill that makes the paper for tea bags just down the road from you in the Forest of Dean. I was therefore perhaps a little more nerdishly interested than most when Claire Trumper came to talk about the tea sachet that she sells. There are two basic types of paper used to make tea bags, heat seal and non-heat seal. Heat sealed bags are sealed using heat and so contain plastic. And you'll see a crimped seal where the paper is sealed. There's lots of seals here, you know. Non-heat sealed bags are sealed by folding a crimp fold and then either stapling or stitching. Most, but not all, Non-heat seal bags will have a string and a tag attached to the bag. There are now some heat seal bags that have a string and a tag, but these are not widely available in the UK. Good Lord. Heat seal tea bag machines are generally much faster than non-heat seal machines. So for the UK market, companies tend to use heat seal papers, whether you're talking about round, pyramid or plain or square. There are a few companies making non-heat seal string and tag bags, but these tend to be much smaller specialist companies. If it's like any of the others that I have ever seen, Claire's tea sachet is basically a big heat seal bag that is open one end. It therefore contains plastic too. These are more common in mainland Europe than in the UK due to people drinking more loose tea there. It is true to say that some heat-sealed tea bag papers contain proportionately more plastic than the others, and it is likely that Claire's bags will contain proportionally less plastic than, say, Tetley. However, as with most everything, there are many arguments about which tea bag paper is the greenest, the most compostable, etc., etc. 
I don't want to get involved in these arguments here. But I just wanted to point out the need for care when claiming one product is greener than another. In particular, unless Claire can be certain that she is using a non-heat seal paper, the paper used in the manufacture of her tea sachets will contain plastic. Lecture over. Phew. Keep up the good work on the excellent podcast. You are in a field of your own. P.S. If you do feel the need to read this out in one shape or form, I'd prefer to remain anonymous. So, anonymous teabag expert, beginning with... Thank you very much for your feedback. And it turns out that we think Claire's tea sachets have got plastic in them. But the thing is, Phil... That's opened up more tea time trouble from other people. What to do? And, of course, to add grist to the mill, our very own master composter, Mr Sherlock... Or boiling water to the leaf. Oh, indeed. Um, ...had written in the Wiggly catalogue a little piece about composting tea bags. Thank you very much, Simon. We do like to make the catalogue very interesting and full of stuff from our readers. And next time it's going to be Mark Eccleston and... Pod chef who've written a piece and if you'd like to join them all you need to do is email me heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk and make it ravingly stunning article because i can't just have anything it has to be amazing about your garden or your life carry on phil and so i have a letter <laughs> from stan spencer in response to simon sherlock's tea bags in response to simon sherlock tea, and his tea, tea bags tea. And he's included a freshly laundered Sainsbury's Red Label tea bag, <laughs> unless it's tea. And I Exhibits must say, number one. Exhibit number one is barely stained and totally intact. Bring into the court exhibit number one. I'm pleased to say that it is also a heat sealed circular tea bag. Okay. Dear Heather, many thanks for the WW catalogue received today. I fear I'm not one of your best customers because to tell the truth I have no problems composting or using the worm composter. I bought my can of worms from you many years ago and obviously followed the expert's advice on what to add to it. Good man! That advice included adding used tea bags and I then spent a lot of time picking the obviously non-composted tea bags from the finished compost. It is only some tea bags that are suitable to add to the wormery. Worms cannot digest the majority of tea bags because they are made from man-made fibre and the tea we use, Sainsbury Red Label, are certainly of the latter. I now tear open each used tea bag and use only the spent tea leaves. So you see, I don't altogether agree with the advice given by Simon Sherlock, page 5, as not all tea bags are organic. Best wishes, Stan Spencer. Enclosed one washed Red Label tea bag. But this obviously goes on from your comments from previous correspondent about plastic in the tea bag, I assume. Yes, I got more here. So this is Emma Cooper from the Alternative Kitchen Garden podcast. She's a good writer and she's a good wiggly customer too. And she sent me this essay on tea and tea bags and which tea bags are compostable because it's not just what everyone said because some of the plastic is biodegradable. So, for example, with equal exchange tea, the plastic is biodegradable within the compost, you see. And so, oh, 
and and what it does is it degrades into tiny pieces like dust and and it's invisible but it's really still there so isn't uh, the answer to this to use a teapot well yes a teapot just Hmm. a minute and you can get your London teapot in brown from the Wiggly catalogue or website at www.wigglywigglers.co.uk. So much better without Ricardo, isn't it? Or alternatively, you use the little filter spoons or infuser devices that you can put into your cup. So you use loose leaf tea without the tea bag. Yep, infuser. Here we are, one more from Andrea. Dear Heather, caught some discussion on Twitter about composting tea bags. There's been lots. If you want to follow me, I'm at Wiggled. And I'm at Farmer Phil with no E. Anyway, uh, com- tea, uh, Twitter about composting tea bags, but I've not got the hang of the tweets sufficiently yet to join in. <laughs> anyway, I heard Claire of Temper Tea mentioned biodegradable tea bags at the start of her bit on Podcast 206, but I think you ran out of time, so she never went into detail. She went after into detail on podcast 214. Look them up on our website and they're fill your own tea bags, claiming to be 100% biodegradable. We know, Andrew, they're quite pricey, you know, as it works out about 20p a bag, if my maths is correct. But for those of us who still like tea bags for convenience, but also want to be able to compost them properly, this might be a, a product worth pursuing. Maybe have Claire back on the pot. We've done it. How done it? It's a brilliant episode. And yes, I've done you a review on iTunes. Best regards, Andrea. Here is the woman herself's response. Farmer Phil, could you please do an impression of Ms. T herself, Claire Trumper? Hi, Heather. <laughs> it's not very good. <laughs> As you say, Wow. I suppose the good thing is that he was listening attentively. Oh, she's talking about the anonymous tea bag expert. So that's taken 50% of the possibility away. Not really sure where to start with this one, but have gone back to Germany to double-check the product specs so that he understands that I'm taking his thoughts seriously. Aw. On a lighter note, your catalogue arrived on several people's doorsteps this morning and we've had some great phone calls. Hope things are going well. All the best, Claire. There we are. So she's on the case. We will be getting back to you. We'll be back on tea shortly. Farmer Phil, I've got to go. I've got to go and pack boxes. And best of all, I've got to get Michael's mum the best bouquet we've ever done, so he said. Um, But first, what is the story on moisture? Well, this morning... (laughs) Moisture! (laughs) It's that scintillating (laughs) topic of conversation, but actually it's quite relevant. Because when we store our grain, we have to dry it mostly because it's quite wet in Herefordshire. And the degree we have to dry it is set down by our good friends, the European Union. So this morning I've been just testing the last of our grain to make sure that it's fully dry prior to offering it for sale. And I thought that you, dear wife, might be interested to know why the moisture levels are set at what they are and the history of that subject. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Could you show some more enthusiasm for what is crucial... Dear wife would be interested in the moisture levels of my grain. Well, 30 years (laughs) ago, we we stored grain at 19% moisture, and that was completely acceptable, 
and that was no trouble at all. And then they decided that the, the risk of storing grain wet, so 19% would be wet, is that it'll go mouldy and you get mycotoxins growing in it, which are obviously bad for you or the animal, wherever. And so they reduced that figure to 17%. And so he thought, well, that was all right. And then they decided that wasn't I bet wrong. you didn't think that was all right. I bet you thought, oh, well, damn it's not legislation. Well, it's not too difficult at those levels. OK. Because in using our system, you blow ambient air through the grain. It's quite easy to dry it from 19% to 17%. Then they decided they wanted to reduce it to 16% because they wanted a better quality. And this was partly people started realising that we were selling the grain merchants water at the value of grain. So obviously every percent of water that they could persuade us to take out of it, they didn't have to buy the water. They were getting more grain for their money. Oh, and that's so clever. we got down to 16%. So they buy it by the tonne, so they were buying water before. That's right. That's like how I used to go and put my orange squash in the blackcurrant bucket to fill it up a bit with weight. Exactly so. Bad news. Naughty. Hmm. But we weren't being naughty, but that's what the grain merchants had worked out, you see. And so then, having got down to 16%, we were all reasonably happy with that. That was acceptable. You could store grain quite happily at 16% for the whole year. And you can store it wetter as long as you keep blowing air through it every so often to keep it fresh. It won't go mouldy as long as it's aerated. And then our European Union brethren over the water decided that because their climate is on the whole drier and sunnier than ours in the summer, they were combining most of their grain dry at less than 15% without having to dry it at all. And therefore, we were getting an advantage by being able to sell 1% of water... 2%? Or 2%. We'd got back to 16%, so 1% of water... And so they put in a thing that they wanted us to dry grain to 15% to make it a more similar spec to theirs. Now, as you get drier and drier, it gets harder and harder to dry it, and you use more and more energy. So for purely political reasons, we now have to dry it to 15%. Now, it might cost us six, seven, eight pounds a tonne in power and gas to get that percent out, but it's for no other reason than the European... Some people will tell you mycotoxins, this, that and the other, but as long as you aerate it, it's fine. And so that's what I've been doing this morning, is testing my grain to make sure that I've dried it to 15% so that I can offer the last bits for sale. You're bitter about this, aren't you? I don't like it, because I think it's a complete waste of energy and money. Well, here we are. Here's Rosemary Moon to cheer you up. Fantastic news about the beef into school dinners on the podcast that you mentioned it. West Sussex Council still have their heads in the proverbial. (laughs) (laughs) More wigglies to you all. Best regards, Rosemary Moon. And Rosemary Moon's website is brilliant. She does a dish of the day. So if you go to www.moonbites.info forward slash dish of the day, you will see her dish of the day. And it's always scrummy. Well, thank you very much for that, Rosemary. We're pleased too. It's a good job. Have you had the first of the beef back, Phil? No, because it hasn't finished hanging yet. It's still having its 21 days to hang. It's likely that we will have some of the beef from the first two animals as boxes and the rest will go to the schools. The whole thing is ongoing and we're just working out how to promote it some more to the schools and all the rest of it. It's the quickest show ever this week, I'm sure, at... Oof. 
18 minutes. So we're going to end now because I have to go and make 600 mothers happy. In fact, this year we're going to make 680 mothers happy and we've had to stop taking Mother's Day orders because we are full. But I'd like to thank you all for those orders. We appreciate them very much, but we have to make sure every bouquet goes out perfect and we have to make sure that every flower in our bouquet is sourced from Britain. So we've not got a complete mountain of ability to be able to just stew some more out. It's like Raymond Blanc. If you phone him up and he's booked, he's booked. As Michael says, he hardly goes out, gets a couple of chairs extra, puts them on the patio and orders fish and chips. Does he? Hardly. But it's I think the it's the same at the Wiggly Florist. We've done our best. It's great though, isn't it? That we've got ourselves to capacity and with a bit of luck we will get a near perfect bouquet to everyone who wants one on the day that they're expecting it. It is great but I'm heartbroken because I hate not taking orders from people who want to use us. So to anyone that feels let down, we're sorry. I've got to go now. Your glass is mostly half empty, isn't it? That's your trouble. I've got to go now to put bouquets in boxes but just before we go we have to do a review on Hopton House B&B and the Jolly Frog at Lentwoodine. Well, what a birthday treat I had, eh? I, I took Farmer Phil and we stayed at Hopton House B&B. It's a five-star run by Karen Wire member, Twitter user extraordinaire. And we went for our meal to the Jolly Frog. Out of ten, Phil, Hopton House, including... The homemade chocolate cake left in our room with the handmade chocolates and the homemade soap from somebody or other and the gorgeous surroundings and the chickens and the breakfast and the black pudding and the hostess. I've never stayed in a five-star B&B before, so I can only give her ten. Agreed. Jolly Frog, where we ate... We had a nice bit of beef, didn't we? Some uh, Chateaubriand steak carved by the chef himself, Mr. Empson. Spinach, chips, chips, chocolate pudding. Oh, I had a mushroom risotto. I had a mushroom ravioli soup, French bistro style. And the meat came from Griffiths's, who kill our pigs in Lentford. So just down the road, literally, the meat at the abattoir is three miles from the pub. So that's how it should be done, and it was beautiful. And the next morning, a Griffith sausage. A, yeah, ridiculous a, a size. Ridiculous size. I think, I think there's a bit of adjustment in that. Customer says that she's not having any more of those. Yeah, too big. But absolutely scrummy. Out of ten for the Jolly Frog. I, I think nine and a half. There we are. This week's show was brought to you from Lower Blakemere in Herefordshire in the UK. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye from me.